So just for a moment, I want you to think, including those of you that are already on your phones and distracted, that'd be Jared, Maxime in the back there, <laughs> any, any other rebels, Gen Zs, Ys, whatever. Uh, I want you to think for a moment. In fact, close your eyes, close your eyes, and I want you just to genuinely try and engage for a few moments and to think about one thing that if given the chance, you would have done differently a few years ago. Maybe five years ago, 10 years ago. If you're still in school, maybe it's like a term ago. One thing that knowing what you know now, you would do it a little bit differently. Maybe you would have said no to that opportunity. Maybe you would have said yes to that opportunity. Maybe, maybe, you, wouldn't, maybe you would not have gotten into that particular relationship at the time. Maybe you would have saved a little more diligently. Maybe you would have said no to, to a purchase that actually wasn't as urgent as what you thought it was. Maybe you would have studied harder. Maybe, just anything. And this isn't to discourage anyone, so just hang in there. Hang in there. I just want you to think for a few moments. If you knew what you knew now, what is one thing, given the chance, that you would do differently? Okay, open your eyes. Some of you are smiling, which is good sign. Some of you are like, <laughs> why is he taking me back there? Okay, all this is talking about, right, is the value of wise choices. The choices we make determine the people we become and the lives that we live, right? And this isn't just about the blatant, hardcore black and white, right and wrong, legal, illegal. I'm just talking about wisdom. Way too often, I think we are tempted to lower the bar um, down to the question of, is this right or wrong? Where, where it's sometimes so much more complex, so much more nuanced, as opposed to asking, is this good? Like, is this wise? Is this the best? Is this going to lead to life? Is this life-giving? So we've been looking at a few different choices over the last few weeks, and we're going to look at one more today. Choices like what we've called the integrity choice, so where we actually ask ourselves the question, am I being honest with myself? Really? Where's Josh? Really? <laughs> Josh didn't like the way I said really. He's like, is it rare or is it real? Really? Am I being honest with myself? Really, so often we are tempted to, and often because we're in a rush, we're not even thinking about it. It's just such second nature for us to just keep moving, making quick decisions, hurrying up, going to the next thing, the next task, taking on another responsibility, whatever the case is, and we're not necessarily being honest with ourselves really in terms of what's motivating this. Is this actually the wise thing to do? The second choice that we looked at is what we call the legacy choice where we actually ask ourselves, so, so where we kind of play the movie out. We, we, we allow the story to kind of unfold on the current trajectory. We look at sowing and reaping, and we ask ourselves, what legacy will I leave? Not, will I leave a legacy? I will. What legacy will I leave? Just like you have all inherited a legacy. We've all inherited legacies from our guardians, from our family members, from from our leaders within our communities, within our country, we have all inherited legacy. I don't think any of us would say it's all been good. No one's ever had, just, just so you know, no one's ever had a perfect parent, okay? Cut your parents a little bit of slack. Just like no one's ever had a perfect child. If you think, if you, think you have a perfect child, we have a, we have a special place for you. 
It's an institution, okay? <laughs> like, like there, is, there are no perfect kids, there are no perfect parents, but, but obviously there are cases where imperfect parents have left a little bit more than just a neutral legacy, like where it's actually been destructive and where we've actually, we're still living with trying to undo and relearn and change some of those things. So what legacy, you've, you may not be grateful for the legacy that you've inherited, hopefully there's some gratitude for some parts, but we have to look at what legacy are we going to leave for those around us. Last week, Pastor Trevor Coleman took a look at the third choice, which is the conscience choice. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? And again, if we're honest with ourselves, way too often we are going so fast, we are skimming that the last thing we, we wanna do is pay attention to the tension. In fact, we wanna do something else to distract from the tension. We, we live in an age unlike ever before where, where we can keep ourselves perfectly distracted every moment that we are awake. If you don't believe me, think of how long before you went to sleep you switched your phone off. Wait, you switched your phone off? Okay, when you put your phone down, how long after you woke up, you looked at your phone, we are able to distract ourselves every waking moment. So I don't even know if we're even aware of those tensions a lot of the time. A lot of the time we actually have to slow down, and that's wisdom. It takes wisdom to actually slow down and to reflect honestly about, hey, is there a tension right now? And to give it attention. Is, is this something that maybe God's Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention? Is, is there something about this situation where the Holy Spirit is just prompting you to not act yet, or to, or to not say yes, or to, or to kind of prepare you so that maybe the answer is gonna be no, but is there actually a tension? Do I feel a tension when I'm hanging around these people? Do I feel a tension when, when, when I travel um, and, and I go to these places or stay in those environments? Is there a tension? When you are about to go to the shops and get that thing that you just have to have, is there any tension? Is there anything, any tension that we need to pay attention to? This is actually a conscience question. And today, I wanna to simply take a look at the maturity choice. Maturity. Morality is commanded, maturity is invited. What is actually the mature thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? This is the simple question. For some of us, it's too simple and so we're already wanting to move on to the next thing. Hang in there. And if you're on your version notes, I got your number. We, we've left blanks, okay, so that you can't get all the answers and switch off. <laughs> Hang in there. What is the wise thing to do? This is the maturity question. Way too often, we lower the bar to, is it legal or is it illegal? Is it right or is it wrong? Take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I heard Sue make reference just now to the NIT. I have no idea what version that is. No, no, you said NLT or NIT. I think you were trying to say NIT. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Sue never makes mistakes, so I have to point it out. When, 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 when on the odd occasion there is an anomaly. I have Josh, Sue has me. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Think about that for a moment. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Now again, your first thought may be, wait, everything's not permissible. You're right. In the context that this was being written to was Paul, one of the early church leaders, was writing to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, and there was a debate going on as to whether or not it was okay for them to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. 
And the point that, uh, that Paul was trying to get at to them is actually because, because part of the wrestle is they were coming out of Judaism where there were not just very strong, strict laws that are recorded in the book of Leviticus, but, but the, the Jewish leaders added hundreds more to put guardrails around every law. So, so, so actually, a lot of the time, the, the law that they were trying to obey wasn't God's original law. It was actually all these extra laws just to make sure that you didn't go anywhere near the law. The intention was, was noble. Now, as Christians, so, so when they're now being told that Jesus has fulfilled all of those Levitical laws, ceremonial laws, etc., they, they are now for a sudden, uh, all of a sudden feeling like, but so, I mean, we can like do anything? Great. Like, whoa, party. And, and Paul was saying, okay, well, yes, you're right. Technically speaking, you are saved. If you're invited to an unbeliever's house and they offer you meat that has been offered idols, yes, you can eat it. But then he goes on to say, however, if you are around other believers, maybe new believers, young believers, that have a sensitive conscience and they, and they might feel offended, like it's completely irrelevant to today, right? Because we would never do this. We would never be insensitive to people that have a different conscience or a different, anyway. So, I'm being facetious. He's saying, it may be permissible, but that doesn't mean it's beneficial. So that's, that is the context in which he's right. He's not saying no laws apply, you can do whatever you want to. No, he, he's saying, sure, in this context of religious law, ceremonial law, yes, you're right. And it's in that context that he's using these words, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So here's my question to you. Obviously, we're not talking about the law, but wherever you have other decisions to make that are not blatant, they're not black and white, they may actually, technically speaking, be permissible. I wanna ask you, I wanna encourage you, I wanna urge you, I want to beg you, okay? I want to beg you to go way deeper, to think way further ahead, and to ask yourself, is this beneficial? Not just, is this permissible? Is this actually good? Is this going to lead to life? Is this going to strengthen meaningful relationships? Is this going to help in terms of achieving the purpose that God has for my life? Is this going to help form me into the person that God has called me to be because we are all being formed or deformed depending on how you look at it. But we're, no one stays the same. So let's, let's stop lowering the bar to is it legal? That's why I, I understand why people want to legislate various things and that's, that I've, I've got no problem with legislation. But most of the things we're trying to legislate are actually things that come down to a heart issue how we treat people, how we conduct ourselves in business, how we, how we conduct ourselves in marriage, in family, in, in caring for the poor, for the vulnerable. It shouldn't just be, do I have to? Guys, I'm telling you right now, if, if when you are feeling prompted or encouraged or challenged or inspired to do something um, as, as, as an act of obedience to God, if the primary question is, do I have to? Can I encourage you to pause? That's attention that you need to pay attention to. 
because that's not, I'm t- guys, that's just not the heart attitude. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do difficult things and we don't sometimes do things we don't feel like, yes, but don't let that stay that way. Don't serve because I have to serve. No, no, you don't have to. You'll go to you can go to heaven if you love Jesus. You'll get to spend eternity with him. You don't have to give a tenth of your income to your local church to be a Christian. In fact, in fact, the scary thing, some of us can actually approach that in a superstitious way, where there's actually an unhealthy fear as opposed to a grateful, like, I get to do this, I get to, do I have to give to, to every person that asks me at a traffic light? No, no, that's the wrong question. And it's way more complex than just a yes or no. There, there is no yes or no, just so you know. But when it comes to, sure, can I marry this person? God, is this the, is this the only person out of seven and a, I don't know, half billion people that, like, that you've planned for me to marry? Is, I, I don't know that there's only one person on the planet that you can marry. I would, I would imagine no, because none of us have lived a perfect life. So if you lived a perfect life from birth until the time you make your decision, well, then maybe in God's perfect plan, there was the perfect person. But, but you can actually make a wise choice about who you court and who you consider marrying based on who you are, based on who they are. And do you have God? Do I have the maturity to work through our differences? Because there are differences. No two perfectly compatible people have ever gotten married. That's really good news for some of you right now. Okay. You mean it's not only me? No! It's, it is the extent to which we're able to work through the incompatibilities. It's the extent to which we're able to work through differences. No, no, what is the wise thing to do? Not, is this the only, like, is this black and white? Is this right and wrong? There are way too many areas in our lives where we need to simply step back and say, God, please help me. Help me to be wise. What is the wise thing to do? Now, to help us apply this question, I wanna offer you a couple of reference points. Those of you that have ever been to a beach where you can actually swim in the water, <laughs> so if you travel, unless you enjoy a wetsuit, and I mean, I know some people love swimming in the water, yeah? but for, the normal, for like normal people, right? <laughs> Let's say you've been to a beach where, where, you can, where you can just, you know, you're in your board shorts, or you're in your cozy, and you can just go for a swim. Chances are, any public swimming beach that you've been to, and I think that this might be the case, I would imagine you had Mullerton as well, um, there would be flags out on the sand. In, ever seen that, right? Flags, flags? Okay, so you need to have someone take you to a beach. All right, so, so, there's, so there's some flags. What, what the lifeguards are saying is these are the reference points, these are your boundaries, because there's a current. So, so basically, the water is almost never completely still. Life is never completely still, yeah. right? There are nuances, there are influences, there are currents. And so they're saying, hey, hey, hey. And, and again, if you've been to one of those beaches, you'll hear the lifeguard going, like blowing his whistle, like <whistles> And they start going mad. If you, I'm like, sorry, okay? Anyway, because they really care. They really care about you being within the, which is good because they can, I mean, they're only looking there. They're not looking at the people that are insisting on going wide. Anyway, that's all another message. So these are the reference points. Now, I want to suggest that as we 
ask ourselves this question, what is the wise thing to do? That there are a couple of reference points to ask. And I love the way that Andy Stanley puts this. Just so you know, a lot of the, a lot of the headline or highlighting umbrella concepts that we're talking about in this series has been from one of Andy Stanley's books. He's written a lot about wisdom, but in particular one that's called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And I love the way he asks this question. He says, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? He's offering three reference points. So your reference point, if you're trying to stay healthy, might be your fitness level, what the scale says to you, <laughs> um, you know, your bank account, your budget. If you live in Cape Town, you know, the mountain is a great reference point. If you live anywhere else in South Africa, you need Google Maps, right? So Cape Town is like, boom, where's the mountain? Okay, I can, I can kind of head in. Joburg is like, you need Waze and Google Maps and, and a couple other options to make sure that, that, that you're heading in a particular direction. He's saying these are the reference points. What is, in light of my past experiences, like what have I learned from that? My current circumstances, what, what space am I in? What, what are my energy levels? What's my capacity level? How much more stress can I take on? My future hopes and dreams, which hopefully you have a future and some hopes and dreams. This picture of a preferred future. What is the wise thing to do? Not just simply, is it right and wrong? So let me quickly break those three up and then we're going to actually end off with a time of reflection. We're gonna take communion. And as we take communion, my encouragement to you is to reflect with God. Asking God what the next step looks like. As we, as we remember the, the highest price that Jesus paid for us, as we remember that, that we're not just saved from a life of brokenness, captivity, hurt, etc., but we're saved to a life of purpose, meaning, growth, formation. As we reflect on this, as we, as we take part in communion, I want to encourage you to reflect on these questions. God, right now, as I look at my life, even if it's just one thing that you want to highlight to me, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, God, you are the source of all wisdom. What is the wise thing to do? So very, very quickly, past experience. You would have heard a statement like this before, quoted from George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Okay, maybe you haven't heard it before. Okay, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Some of us need to recognize that we have certain vulnerabilities, certain weaknesses. There are certain places that you can go to that I shouldn't go to. There are some places that I can go to that you shouldn't go to. There are some people that you can hang out with that I shouldn't hang out with, and there might be some people I can hang out with that you shouldn't hang out with. Take a look at your past experiences. Again, you would have heard this statement from Albert Einstein. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. Let's, let's reflect on our past experiences. Sometimes, things that we did in our past were not just a past time, they became a pathway to something destructive. And unless we look at that and again, reflect, I think one of, one of the single greatest challenges to your average westernized 21st century Christian is the lack of reflection. As long as we're busy, distracted, skimming, we don't have to reflect because it can be painful to reflect. Uh, 
you're right. Okay. I have been struggling with that over and over and over and over and over again. And no, I actually don't want to be like a dog that keeps returning to its vomit. That's also in the Bible, by the way. The Bible's not boring. But so often we are like dogs that return to our vomit. That's gross, right? If you have a dog, you've seen them do that. It's like, ugh. Anyway, but that's what we do when we keep doing the same destructive thing, hoping for a different result. Every decision, every invitation, every opportunity that comes our way should go through the filter of, is it the wise thing to do? In light of my past experience, maybe you've had a very colorful, interesting dating history. Okay, have you, like, have you learned from that? I remember a guy years ago um, trying to, well, like, like very excited, asking me to perform a wedding, you know, to officiate over their wedding. Um, and he was incredibly confident because he'd been married a few times and he'd like lived with, I think, seven different women or something. And so he's, so he's figured this out. And he's, he's sorted. And I remember thinking, you should probably be the least confident, secure person on the planet about making a decision to, to commit your life for the umpteenth time to someone. Like, what have you learned from your past experiences? And he hadn't. He got married, got divorced. I'm saying... Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. In light of my past experiences, if I keep going from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, if I keep going from job to job to job to job, let's, let's not be discouraged, but let's, but let's have enough security in God to look at the common denominator and say, God, is there something I need to learn from my past? Don't keep handling conflict the same way and expecting a more intimate a healthier, stronger relationship, whether that's at work, with your family, with a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Let's learn from destructive conflict. Conflict isn't bad. Destructive conflict is bad. In fact, I would argue that conflict is great. It's good, but it needs to be constructive. Looking at our past spending habits, our past physical habits, our, our work ethic, are we expecting different results? In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing to do? And let me encourage you, don't waste your pain. Please don't be discouraged as you look back. And maybe, and maybe this, we try and avoid it because the enemy wants to use it to shame and condemn and discourage us. That's, that's not the point. The point is to, okay, God, what do you want me to learn from this? When, when did I feel my best? When did I feel the most joy? When did I feel the most peace? Learn. Learn from the negative and the positive. The second thing is, reference point is in light of my current circumstances. So what is your current load? That's why legalism is so destructive in any church context because, because what we do when we become legalistic, in other words, we are laws-based, we're, we're trying to apply a very rigid set of rules, is that, I'm not talking about principles and morals, I'm talking about rules, is when I take a principle a godly principle, a biblical principle, I have a certain conviction about how God wants me to apply that, and then I don't, take, I don't take the principle, I take the application, and I make that law for everybody else. That's legalism. An example, many years ago, I got to a point where I genuinely was struggling, so please give me grace in advance, okay? Grace, 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 okay. I had such a strong conviction around 
children that were orphaned, vulnerable, abused, neglected, etc., and just the enormous need for foster parents, adoption, etc., uh, etc., et that, that I found myself starting to say things along those lines from stage. I, I, I don't know if I did it once or twice, but, but very quickly, I felt God convict me clearly. Jason, you are taking your application. So, so my application was correct in terms of what God was calling me to do, how he was calling me to apply it. But I, I had such a heavy conviction about it that I was in danger of making it law for somebody else. So you may be able to serve and volunteer for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty hours a week. That's great. You cannot put that onto somebody else. You have to look at your current circumstances. Conversely, conversely, you may so when you, when you look at your current load, looking at your current circumstances, you may have dozens of hours on your hands, and maybe the, the God's wanting you to do something with them. So don't look at someone else that's giving half an hour a week, an hour a week, and thinking, cool, that's the standard. No. Look at your current circumstances, your current load, your current responsibilities, your current levels of stress. Are you under-challenged? Are you over-challenged? Are you appropriate? If you're already over-challenged and you're stressed and stretched to the max on every single area, you probably shouldn't be consciously taking on another responsibility unless you're able to offload a so in light of my, my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, what, are my, what is the wise thing to do? Have you ever noticed, hopefully, chances are, that most of your apologies, because hopefully you apologize, come when you are overloaded, irritable, stressed, you're not getting enough rest, which, which is... Can I just encourage us to not be victims? Way too often I think we feel like we have no agency, no say, no choice. Most of the time, my lack of sufficient rest is not out of my control, it's normally within my control, and I'm choosing to use less replenishing ways to rest, because you can rest in the sense of you're stopping work, but if you're just binging series, that is not replenishing. If you're, if you're gaming until three o'clock in the morning, Yes, it may be rest from work, but you're going to wake up with a gaming hangover the next morning, especially if you have to get up and be productive, right? So, so, so the point I'm trying to make is, is where I look at my current circumstances. Is it wise for me to be gaming until whatever time? Is it wise for me to be going away again right now when I look at just how much time and energy I've already had to give out to things? Do I have extra energy to give to them? Should I be committing to one more financial responsibility? if I look at my current circumstances. This makes sense, right? Yeah, very good. And then of course, lastly, in light of my future hopes and dreams. And if I was the enemy, your spiritual enemy, the enemy of your soul, I would do everything I could, very subtly, to distract you from even daring to think about be open to, reflect on, have hope for the future. And I get it. Some of us have been disappointed so many times that hope is like a double-edged sword. Hope is like actually painful. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'd, rather, I'd, rather not, I'd rather not expect anything and not be disappointed than hope for something and be disappointed. Anyone relate to that? Yeah. But if we would... Slow down. Slow down enough to be with Jesus. 
to reflect with him. And just to, and, and not once you've figured out all your nonsense, not once you're living a perfect life, just as you are, we come as we are. We can't change ourselves all by ourselves. We need the love of God, the invitation of God, the kindness of God to remind us that there is, actually is a hope in a future, not a man-made hope in the future. I'm not talking about just dreaming about taking over the world. No, no, I mean, I, I, this is in the filter of God. God, what is your future? What is your plan? Who is it that you've destined me to become? Not just what has he destined you to get done. That too, but way too many people get things done and they never become who God's destined them to be. And believe it or not, who you become is more important than what you get done because when you become who God's called you to become, you will do what God's called you to do. But it's amazing how we can do things without becoming. But you can, I would argue that you cannot become without doing what God's called us to do. So, so to just, again, with reflection. In fact, the team can come on up because in a few moments I'm gonna get you to, to just slow down and to reflect personally as we remember what Jesus has done for us and not just what that paid for in the past tense but, but what, what he has saved us towards. I think, it's, I think for some of us, we need to actually allow God to remind us of what his vision, what his dream is for our future relationally. Maybe there is so much brokenness in your family, it's hard to imagine ever having an even remotely healthy relational set of family set of relationships. And, and, I don't want to, and I don't want to patronize you and tell you what that should look like. I really don't, because I think that, I think that, that can be dangerous and damaging. But when we hear God whisper and say, this is possible. By the way, when I say that, I've got to tell you that almost every single ideal around family, because I'm naturally an idealist, almost every single ideal has been shattered over the years. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a very humbling, sobering way, where I'm like, because I'm also naturally more of a perfectionist. I'm like, we, I want the perfect family. I want perfect relationships, perfect extended, perfect, 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 which is like just a, a recipe for pain and disaster. As opposed to, okay, God, people are messy. Family's messy. There's a proverb that says that, you, that, that, that an empty stable stays clean, but it produces no harvest. In other words, if you want, the, if you want the, the cattle to produce a harvest, you better put up with the poo, with the manure. So, so I've often got to remind myself, I can have a clean and empty life or I can have a messy and full life. And let me tell you something, sometimes I don't know which one I want in that moment. I'm like, I can do with a bit of clean right now. But what a sad life to live, to get to the end. And, and the greatest testimony is you had a clean but pretty empty life. Your house looked neat and tidy, but it was empty. Your budget was perfect, your spending was perfect, everything was neat and tidy and looked impressive, but it was, your life was empty. I'm just, I'm just trying to encourage anyone else out there that's like me, where you may need to be okay with it being messy. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why this isn't just a set of rules and do's and don'ts. No, no, I need the Holy Spirit to help me constantly. I cannot tell you how often I, I have to pray, God, help me to guard my heart without hardening my heart. Because, because there's, been, there's just so much abuse, so much manipulation, so much dysfunction. I don't, so God, 
I do want to guard my heart. I don't want to be, I don't want to be silly and keep opening myself because I have agency. I have a choice. I don't want to keep opening myself up to being manipulated and abused over the years. So I want to guard it, but I don't want to harden it because it, it's easy. There's a fine line. You can harden your heart to where you don't want anyone to come close. You don't, want, you don't want any hope. And you can kind of stop caring. I've had to pray over and over again. God, please help me to know what does love look like? I know what other people would tell me. They think I should do that. But God, I need to know from you. What does love look like in this situation? Where, what does honor look like? Because there's a difference between honor and respect. Respect is earned. Honor is given. And just because you don't respect someone because they, frankly, they are disrespectful, doesn't mean that it's ever okay to dishonor someone. These are some of the nuances that I'm saying we may need God to help us see the hope and the future. Is He encouraging and inviting you to hope for a different financial future than what you've been passed? down and, and what you're currently experiencing. Is it possible that God doesn't want you to give up? That He actually has? It may never be easy. It may never be what you would like it to be, but, but that it can be better. Maybe He really does want you to be motivated towards a career, towards a certain kind of meaning and purpose. What is the wise thing to do? Everything may be permissible. It doesn't mean everything is beneficial. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? And as you take part in communion, I want to remind you that wisdom, true wisdom, not worldly wisdom, true wisdom, comes from God. He is wisdom. We need Him. So as you take a few moments, as you reflect, why don't you just allow God to reassure you that you are loved as you are, that Jesus died for you long before you even tried to get your act together, that you are loved. If we don't get that, nothing else matters. If you're too afraid to even slow down and reflect because, you, because you're, just, you're just waiting for the onslaught of guilt and shame, by the way, there is healthy guilt, just side note. There's healthy guilt. We should feel guilty about hurting people. But that's not the same as condemnation or shame. Where shame, where shame becomes about who you are when guilt is a conviction about what I've done. Don't, don't fear slowing down because God's just going to give you this long list of everywhere that you're failing. Before anything else, allow Him to remind you how much you are loved by Him individually. And then surrender. Jesus, you died for me. You paid a price that my sins could be forgiven, that I could be set free. How do I steward that? What is the next right thing to do? In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what, God, is the wise thing to do?